Royalties are stupid. Why, if you're making a leap of faith to buy my art, why should I carve out an investment stream to return? You've made a leap of faith to support my art. I want to get on my knees and bless you. I'm not going to rob you of some of the upside. And royalties benefit the people that need it the least. If you're an emerging, struggling artist, you have no worries about royalties helping you out of your, your situation. Royalties help artists that sell for a lot of money. They don't need royalties. Welcome to the NFT Now podcast, your go-to source to succeed in the fast-moving world of Web3. I'm Matt Medved. Each week, we interview visionary creators, builders, and collectors, so you can stay up to date on the most important trends and tactics for the internet's next frontier. Welcome back to the NFT Now podcast. I'm Matt Medved, and today's guest is Kenny Schechter, an artist, curator, and professor who has been curating contemporary art exhibits for nearly 30 years. He writes a regular column for Artnet and has an upcoming project called Open Book, an ever-evolving digital book on Polygon powered by Async Art. He's also got no shortage of opinions or hot takes, and so I'm excited for this conversation. Before we dive into it, I want to encourage you to check out our weekly newsletter at nftnow.com newsletter. Each week, we take all the action in the space and distill it into actionable insights direct to your inbox, free of charge. Without any further ado, let's get into it with Kenny Schechter. Kenny, super excited to have you on the NFT Now podcast. How you doing, man? Thank you so much for having me. Very exciting for me. Well, I'm, I'm excited as well. There's a lot to jump into, but why don't we just start, uh, set the stage. Uh, for those who may not be familiar with your work, just give a brief, a brief background. Well, first, I would like to say that I'm a huge fan of NFT Now, and I've been involved in the, in the traditional art world for over 30 years. And every day, for all of those 30 years, there are certain websites that I wake up looking at to, to launch my day for information about the field. And you are the preeminent, not to, I'm not here to kiss ass or anything. It's not in my nature, but when something's good, I really like to talk about it. And I I mean, your, your NFT now is the go-to site every morning I wake up and it's a great uh, resource for information and news, unlike any other. And I just want to thank you for that because it's an integral part of my uh, of my day. Thank you so much. That, that does mean a lot. And, uh, you know, it's a it's a fast paced, wild space. And so, you know, sometimes it's hard to, to get that finger on the pulse, but it, it really makes me happy to hear that it's resonating. Well, I mean, I'm you. a little jealous, I have to admit. OK, so then back to what I do. I've been <laughs> I'm, I'm completely self-taught in art. I, I studied philosophy and I went to law school with zero intention of practicing law. But I always gravitated towards creative and aesthetic, creative uh, way of thinking, way of living. And I never was even aware that there was a commercial side to art. I was like, I call myself idiot, idiot savant, because I thought that an artist, I never went to galleries or museums as a child. Only when I was in college did I begin going to museums for the first time. And I was in Washington, D.C. I went to the East Wing of the National Gallery and saw work like Andy Warhol and Basquiat and Cy Twombly. And it kind of registered in my subconscious. And then after a philosophy degree, I went to law school and um, I was in, working on the floor of the stock exchange. I was working as a legal writer. 
and I ended up in the fashion business. You wouldn't know it if you've ever bumped into me in person because I don't come off as a very fashionable person. But then I, I, I literally, I was procrastinating between jobs and stumbled into Sotheby's estate sale of Andy Warhol at the end of the 80s, and I was flabbergasted. I mean, it's almost like a stupid cliche to say that I had this kind of crazy epiphany and they were gearing up for the for a May contemporary art sale along with Warhol's collection. His auction was his cookie jars and his jewelry, and he was a hoarder in the extreme. And there was all of these crazy Rauschenberg, Jasper Johns, um, Jean-Michel Basquiat paintings that were literally 25 grand a pop in 1988. And, and then I was just immediately smitten. So I wanted to have a life in art. It was, a, it was abundantly apparent to me from one minute to the next. And uh, and then I just decided I really needed to learn art history to steep, to steep myself into the field before I would be able to carve out a role for myself. And at that point, I couldn't bear the thought of going back to school. I conned my way into a teaching job and I was hired to teach six classes on probation at the new school. And then the dean who hired me left and I was a professor of art. So I started curating shows often as a context to include my own artwork, which I began making simultaneously in the late 80s. Before that, I had just been writing. So really, to answer your question, I write about the art world and NFTs, and uh, I make art, and I'm a lecturer and a professor at the University of Zurich School of Visual Art, NYU, and various other universities. So I really teach to learn, and I love to share information and I would say if anyone listening, if anyone does listen, it's only me compared to some of the illustrious, wonderful people you always have on, people can contact me for the rest of my life since they'll all probably live longer than me. And if there's any way I could ever help anyone, this kind of generosity of spirit and and collaborative nature is what I found most thrilling on every level when I first got involved with NFTs three years ago. It brought me back to the way the art world used to be 30 years ago when I first started, which were fostering communities, the generosity of sharing and collaborating and having great conversations with a wildly eclectic group of people. And that is really the core of the interest that brought me to sitting here talking to you today. I love it. I love it. And um, I know that you, when you first kind of entered the NFT space or when you first became aware of NFTs, you, you started out skeptical as many as many do, but have since become a really staunch supporter of, of NFTs, especially in an art world where, uh, you know, criticism is, is quite often levied. Um, so I'm curious, like what what kind of convinced you? What changed your mind? Well, that's partially accurate in a sense. But when I first found out about NFTs, I was... I had I showed my first digital animation in an exhibition that I organized in 1993. So I was I when I was in law school I got an IBM desktop with a floppy disk before they were laptops. I sound like someone's great great grandfather saying when hamburgers were five cents I remember. But I got this computer and I was never a technologist from the practical level of coding and programming. But I'm, I appreciate technology in the same way I appreciate art, which is culturally speaking. I mean, I can't think of a greater factor in all of humanity that has had such extreme growth and influence as technology in our in the everyday functioning of our lives. 
And I think it's hard for a lot of younger people to understand, but this just wasn't always the case. I got my first mobile phone, cell phone in 96. I had this computer back in the 80s. But I remember like in the 70s, basically just prior to the first Apple home computer coming out, the only computer you could buy for a domestic context was a heat kit, a kit where you can concoct your own computer for hobbyists, strictly for hobbyists that were tech nerds. And then Apple, and then really that was the beginning of the advent of this unbelievable phenomenon that we are deep in the mix of. So from that perspective of art being a reflection of the social, political, economic times, for me, the cultural manifestation of how technology impacts our everyday life is what drew me in. So I was always making art. I made giant computer prints in the 90s that I would augment with painting and yeah, employing, using digital video methodologies when there was little digital cassettes before strictly digital cameras. So when I found out about those three letters, I immediately caught on to it and I, I did a meet with Nifty Gateway in 2020. And I have to say, I'm probably one of the few people, and there are more than a few, that got involved with NFTs as a way to further nurture an audience to help communicate with. Or it is Art is self-expression and communication. That's the that's the function or the use case for art, if you can call it that. And for me, I had no notion of money. I mean, this was before the the boom in the boom market. But I, I mean, Tommy Kimmelman was the chief financial officer of Nifty Gateway, and he was moonlighting as the curator. Although I'm, that term nowadays is so loosely thrown around, but there was no one else at the company to onboard the artist. He was the one. And I wasn't looking for money. I was looking to sell a few bits and bobs of the work that I had been doing. In the interim, I was illustrating all my own art net writings on the art world and art market with my own artworks. So I would put these short narrative um, satirical videos embedded into my writing because no galleries would show my work and I had zero market for it because I'm one of these like sacrilegious things in the art world. Number one, as you can see already, I have a big mouth. I have no, I mean, I think it's my responsibility. I'm compelled to call the hypocrisy of which the art world has its own brand of. And anyway, I got involved with NFTs on Nifty Gateway in the beginning because I made digital art and, I, and no one else would take me seriously as an artist. It took me 20 years to be taken seriously as a writer. And now I've done books with MIT and various European publishers. And I have an NFT book coming out in the fall with Springer, with, uh, uh, Roman and Littlefield. So I just did it as a way to, to further my reach as an artist where, you know, doing different things in the art world rather than being celebrated like an artist like People was for being a very successful commercial artist, he was nevertheless embraced as an artist, as a maker, as a creator, because the, the crypto world doesn't dismiss you and doesn't have its head stuck up its own ass to the same extent that the art world does. And in the beginning, like I remember someone I barely knew gave me an Ethereum that was valued at that point in February of 21 that was worth $1,600. And this person was an acquaintance, gave me an Ethereum to foster me minting my own NFTs outside of Nifty where you didn't even own the keys to your own work. And he wanted me to explore more independent means of expression. And he gave me an Ethereum with no expectations of getting something in return. And that sentiment, that mentality was really what, to this day, it excites me so much. And 
I'm as thrilled and excited as ever, although we've been through a retraction, which is more like an absolute, like the market didn't constrict. Same thing happened to fine art in the 90s, but it all but evaporated the market when we're still in the tail end of a pretty epic recession in terms of digital assets. But like, you know, that generosity drew me in. And then like in 20, at the height of the market, mid 21 to early 22, I say that the NFT world copied some of the worst attributes of the art market where, I mean, cash grabs, scams, people doing PF, if you could put in like a spleen or any organ in the body, any animal crawling, slugging along, you could attach any word known to humankind to, to PFP and you'll get a series of 10,000 pieces of crap that were mainly minted for, for, for stealing money purposes. And I mean, I did a satire myself called Crypto Mutts, which was like all the apes, which were all male and all the apes of punks and uh, chickens and everything in a blender and you come out with a mutt. We're all mutts basically, culturally and heritage wise. And then I did this kind of PFP myself, which was meant to be a joke. And like everything I do, if I succeed, I'm always the most surprised because my expectations, I learned very early on in my art career to start with expectations less than zero. So whenever I've had pockets of success, I'm more taken aback than anyone. I love it. I love it. No, I, I think I think tons to dig in there. Um, I think one thing you said too is like you've never been afraid to to you know speak out about the hypocrisy of the of the art world. I'm curious, like, what do you feel is like most broken about the traditional art world right now? Well, I mean, like I said, I I created this. I coined this stupid word called NFTism, and for me, it was exactly what we've discussed so far. Like, if anyone listening to this sends me a DM on Twitter or on on Instagram an email. I will get back to everyone, mostly within 24-hour period. The all world knows one word I always say, which is the word, uh, no, you can't say this, do that, behave like this. So this, I mean, the worst part about the all world is when I began in, in, as in professionally, it was a terrible recession. And like the notion of selling art, contemporary art for significant sums of money, it wasn't even a hope in our minds because it had never really happened. There was never contemporary art like Jeff Koons or Damien Hirst in an evening art auction until 1996. So the art market, which is basically it walks around with blinders on like a horse in Central Park, it's so myopic. It has such a narrow way of doing things where also success affirms success. So I was recently writing an article and it was like four of the most successful artists at 300 artworks between when I submitted the last article in the middle of June to the middle of July, like Kusama, uh, Basquiat, Damien Hurst, and Warhol, amongst the four of them had 300 works coming to auction in this like off period of the season. And what, what I find is most broken about the art world is that no one gives a fuck about art. I can't find anyone to talk about art because I work in the art world. Nobody wants to talk about art. People want to talk about money, and that's it. It's so reductive. I mean, I'm surrounded by literally like 150 little significant pieces that each tells a story about my journey in art. And art has been proven clinically to have medicinal attributes, reducing anxiety, blood pressure, depression. There's been a study at Harvard and various other institutions that show that art 
whether it's on your phone, on your computer, or on your wall, makes your life better. I've never done anything in my entire career simply as a scheme to make money. So I think what's broken in the alt world is the kind of the ear has become the most prominent organ in most people's approach to the art market, where they just want what their friends have. They want to show people the social cachet. I mean, the equivalent is owning a pub or an ape, where everyone knows pretty much what what the floor is, what you paid for it. And I think that I miss the conversations. I miss the community of like-minded people that like to share ideas and help each other. And again, it sounds so corny, a little bit pathetic, but it's true. I love art. And, you know, you could take away NFTs altogether from now going forward or the art market or whatever market I've ever had, and nothing would change in the in the in my day-to-day goings on of my life. I mean, I wake up and I read NFT now and Artnet, two most successful and significant sites, um, one of which I write for. Maybe someday we can work on that. And uh I mean, look, I'm I'm really honored to be I'm having a conversation with you because I really do have respect for what you've done, the role you've carved out. It's a role that clearly reflects your passion. And I think for me, this whole conversation is about what is Kenny Schachter's love and passion and you, Matt Medved, and what you've done. And this is really about the things that we care about. It's not about selling a rooster or, you know, a toe PFP. So that's what's broken in, in, and the market has become a popularity contest. I recently did a project called Pop Principle, and it, the mentality of the art world is so fucking close-minded. It's so narrow-minded that you would think that the art world would be looking for the next audience to drive consumption in the art world. Right now, let's be, be realistic. It's largely the art market is fueled by white, rich, old men. That's the majority, 90% of the entire market. Over the past 10 years, opportunities for artists of color, for women artists, black artists, artists of different sexual orientations. There's been an enormous uh, opening of the floodgates, creating opportunities for other artists to incrementally gain access. However, let's not fool ourselves. Women still get pennies to the dollar in relationship to men if you're looking at various parameters of measuring success, which is largely bullshits at gallery sales. So what's broken is this this bullshit mentality of just really caring about the money situation and the lack of, of caring about the content of the art itself. And you could take all of that and substitute NFTs for for this for, for traditional art, and you'll come up with the, with the reflection of the same problem. So I coined the word NFTism about all the things that really excited me to the level that I hadn't felt in 20 years toiling away in the traditional art world. This kind of meeting great people. And also like in the art world, you pretty much, people are either art on or art off. It's very rarely that you meet people from outside the milieu of general type of art fanatical people you meet. And once I got involved in NFTs, I remember I had an opening in Berlin at a gallery, Nagel Draxler. They opened a crypto gallery after I curated an NFT show in 2021 called Breadcrumbs. And there were physicists, 
There were programmers, mathematicians, filmmakers, a kind of an audience that covered a spectrum that I just absolutely wasn't used to. It was probably, normally I dread openings, exhibit gallery openings, because you're always worried about what's going wrong more than what's going right, who didn't show up, what sold, what didn't sell. And it's generally a very fraught and anxiety-ridden episode occurrence. And when I had this NFT opening, it was it was wonderful. I was engaged in conversations to the level I hadn't been in decades. And then when the market, when when everything went haywire and the money was just gushing, I was speaking to Kevin Abbas, the artist, on the phone, and I said, you know, it's just turned into a post-NFTism universe. And I just drew the word post because I had the word NFTism on my arm. And then I just drew the word post on top of it. And then I ended up getting that tattooed as well. I love humiliating my children. It's one of my favorite pastimes. And I've become very adept at it. But I just think that, like I said before, the art world began to ape some of the worst attributes of the art market. One of the refrains that you hear again and again is that the art world, the art market, is the most unrelated multi-billion dollar market in existence, and it's rife with criminality. It's a cesspool of corruption. And there is some level of people pumping their own books and um, manipulating activity at auctions like Sotheby's and Christie's and Phillips. And again, like the NFT space began to copy some of these worst elements of of, of the fine art space. Also, I mean, um, the crime and the scams in crypto dwarf the amount of crimes that find in white art world. Although I would say in the financial sector in general, there's more crime at lunchtime at Goldman Sachs than in a year in the art world. But you have to be on guard 24-7 in the crypto space because even though people claim that there's a lot of uh, transparency in crypto, that's absurd because people hide behind you know, fleeting wallet addresses that are and living in the land of anonymity. So look, I've never met a dishonest computer in my life. It's people that are flawed. It's people that are fucked up. It's not computers. Whenever there's any sizable amount of money on the table, someone, some bad actor, someone with criminal intent is going to come out of the woodwork and try to take what's yours and not theirs. That's just human nature, unfortunately. So I can't ascribe that to being exclusively in crypto or traditional art or anywhere else. I mean, I have my regular checking account hack in an art world scam that was going around for a couple of years where people would, would hack your email find out the way you communicate to your financial institution and then communicate to the bank in with your email address in your language, sending an invoice for something you either never bought or wasn't due them and then steal your money. And I almost got taken for six figures. I didn't have enough money in my balance to support the fake invoice, luckily. So I didn't fare as well recently when I was hacked in my crypto wallet. But again, like, I keep the lion's share of my crypto, my NFT collection, and whatever um, currency I have in a hard, cold storage wallet. And you just, you you know, it's it's all it's, it's due diligence, and you need to adhere to it. 
Absolutely, absolutely. I know last year you you know brought uh, NFTs to to Art Basel in, in Switzerland. Um, I, I'm sure it was a bit of a, a different mood this year. Like, what's what's like the temperature in the traditional art world around NFTs now that now that you know the boom has subsided, we're in the depths of a bear. Well, that's a great question. I mean, I introduced NFTs to the first art fairs ever in Basel of 21, and at the last Basel, they were not. And in my in between was my so this was Basel, Switzerland in 21 when I first introduced NFTs. And it was a show with Raya Myers and Sarah Fred and Anna Riddler, um, Kevin. And uh in between was Basel, Miami, which became like that was the mushroomy, that was the apotheosis. That was really an art fair that became that was the story of the art fair were NFTs. The fair was 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 percolating with not just NFTs, but NFT parties and crypto events. And it was the buzz of the entire fair. And I could tell you last Miami, a year later from this kind of explosion of activity, there was zero NFTs. The all world operates, you wet your finger, you hold it up in the air. And if the, it goes with the wind, wherever the breeze is blowing. Like I said before, success affirms success. The minute there's weakness, the minute there's vulnerability, the all world turns its back and runs like hell away from anything that, I mean, look, I'm in, I've been making digital art, like I mentioned, for decades before I sold my first piece for literally, you know, decades. I would sell videos once in a while on a USB. I would craft a little box to make it look like art in quotation marks. And I, I don't even know what videos are on the USBs I've sold, maybe three of them in the past. But Ice art for me is a lifestyle. It's my life. <clears throat> it courses through my circulatory system. I don't turn off my passion when the market shifts. So for me, at a certain level, the recession or the downturn was the best cleansing that we ever could have hoped for because whoever's left standing after this uh, bear market are the people that love digital art or love, I mean, the punks ushered in a hybrid new art form altogether. I have this project open book coming out with async. As far as I'm concerned, that's NFTs. Part of NFTism is that NFTs have offered the first um, mechanized mechanism for buying and selling digital assets. It's a revolution. It's a paradigm shift in, in, in human activity. It never existed before from one day to the next until this kind of perfect storm of Bitcoin followed by Ethereum and this marketplace for buying and selling these digital things, whether it's a meme, a JPEG, a video, a photograph. I mean, David Hockney, the famous artist who's in his 80s, says that NFTs are for criminals. But the joke is that he fucking makes NFTs. He sells art that is derived from an iPad drawing and you buy it, output it as a photograph for tens and tens of thousands of dollars, if not more. But would you rather own a photograph from a gallery by David Hockney that originated from an iPad artwork? Or would you rather own the high-res file and output it in a painting, in a photograph, in a video, on your screen, or project it onto the side of your house, for God's sakes? So in this sense, like what I love, again, I think on a certain level, NFTs, dynamic, transformative, smart contracts are a new form of art in a field that hasn't much changed since it came off the wall of the gate. So to have an NFT that 
changes over the course of time is an absolute fundamental shift in the history of art. And for me, that's why even though we've seen ebbs and flows in the general commercial side of this enterprise, um, I haven't lost my enthusiasm, as you could see readily. I love NFTs and I don't even, I don't mind my NFTism nor my post NFTism tattoo because this is my life. This, my life doesn't change if the money dissipates. No, it just, I believe more than ever, David Bowie made a comment that he was so pro-internet before, you know, everyone caught on to the whole web. And he said that with the internet, the space, the gap between the artist and the audience is conflated, is is removed, is is dissipated. And in the sense that I've sold art since, first of all, I would have no galleries working with me and no success in the traditional art world had I not had success with early Nifty Gateway Mints and my NFT activity. You, you only get any art world recognition when you've had some success either at a tiny little hole-in-the-wall gallery, a do-it-yourself endeavor, or in another art-related field. So, yeah. So for me, like, I sold an artwork at an art fair, which was an NFT hybrid physical piece, and the gallery never bothered to tell me who bought it. And even though, like I mentioned before, there still is a degree of anonymity with regard to the buying and selling of NFTs through, through anonymous, non-attributed wallets, I have a Discord from my crypto mutt project, and only one or two percent of these mutts that only ever came out for under a hundred bucks and then went to only a few dollars. But there's still this constant number of people that are in the Discord all the time. I'm probably one of the only founders that has been active individually um, in the Discord space. This is a new way, a new relational component to human creativity. An expression where you not only you not only sometimes become cognizant, become aware of who the buyers of your work are, the collectors, the supporters, but you have a relationship. I invite anyone who owns my art into my home. I get I've given away hundreds of books, hundreds of T-shirts, thousands of NFTs for free, and again, it's fostering dialogues and relationships in a new dynamic that never existed before. And that's really, that's thrilling for me. I can't believe that I, and again, like, you know, some people will say like the all world has just turned its back on NFTs, completely rejected them in every, they rejected them when they were going up on the basis that it was all about money. Then they rejected it when they were going down and said, it's like Beanie Babies, it was bad and it's disappeared. Forget it. It's never going to disappear. ETH is in the ether. The genie is out of the bottle. At least things make too much rational sense to ever be fundamentally affected. Boom. Uh, no, I, I love that. And, you know, I think uh, you mentioned your open book project, which uh, what I'd love to like to dive in a bit. Like, tell us a little bit about the vision for that and uh, and uh, what what's in store. Thanks for asking. I was, I was, there was a, a scholar from Cambridge University and the Cortal uh, Institute for Art History and he was going to interview me. He's written a lot about everything from the Renaissance. He's a Renaissance scholar, but he's also written a lot about everything from crime in the traditional art world to a history book of women in art. And he was going to write a book on NFTs, on the history. He was going to interview me, and then he just said, why don't we just co-author the book together? So this was about a year ago. He asked me to write the book. 
And in my investigative art journalism or journalism about NFTs, I'm always writing about the moment and the next moment to come. So I really dwell in reporting of what's recently transpired and then trying to ferret out or to, to think about what's next. So having to write a retroactive book about my previous three years in the NFT space, I found to be so daunting, I couldn't do it. And then I posted on Twitter, like if anyone wants to have a conversation that can be recorded about NFTs and my experience, just let me know. And I, I mean, like I had 20 interviews in two weeks with random strangers, either in Zoom or in my house. There was such a disparate group of people. There was a woman in finance who loved art, but never wanted to be bogged down by physical work. When she found NFTs, it was the perfect solution to being able to collect art without having to have a storage facility. There was a woman who escaped from a religious sect. It was just this incredible group of people, and we were all drawn together based on our shared interests of NFTs. And anyway, so I submitted this manuscript for a book on NFTs. I submitted the manuscript six months ago. We just finished this laborious process, incremental in nature, and still the book isn't going to come out until the end of the year, which means it'll be fully a year transpired from when it was written. So I had this idea right smack in the middle, the idea of a book with a beginning and an end dealing with an issue a content such as technology is irrelevant. It's moot. It doesn't make sense logically. Why? How could you have an end to a book where NFTs, like you've said before, is a nascent field in the baby embryonic stages of development, any story about NFTs should never have more than one chapter today after the year since 2017. And we're very much, maybe we're in chapter two and a half at best. So I had this idea, just the word, the two words open book popped into my head because an open book is a book that doesn't close, that doesn't end. There's not a conventional, nothing is conventional about where we are with artificial intelligence and and crypto block blockchain is going to be it they should give a nobel prize to the blockchain because nothing will ever be the same in society anymore there'll be house titles will be on the blockchain and car titles and all types of things will now be on this decentralized parallel network of computers and art and writing and words. So the word open, literally the word open book popped into my head. I had given a lecture for the team at Async and for their um, constituency. And I loved the fact that their first project, the first supper uh, was a participatory NFT where the NFT in your wallet is not fixed. It transforms over time. And it brought to mind the famous conceptual artist, Marcel Duchamp, who most, most famously took a urinal out of a hardware store and stuck it in an art context. And that gesture, that was like a bomb. He was like an intellectual terrorist who made this act, a renegade act of throwing a wrench into the mentality of the art world at that time. And it was such, you know, it was such a leap and such a profound gesture, which was like, it was radical, it was nihilistic. And it really fucked things up. And 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 it, he was like in this open-ended exhibition 
he was thrown out of it just were in it. And he's still an exhibition where you weren't even like, you didn't even have to apply to be in it, you got thrown out. Anyway, and he said art shouldn't be in a museum forever for perpetuity. Art should have a shelf life in a museum collection. And it all made me think, like Async did a project with transformative dynamic NFTs. Why couldn't we do the same with the book? And again, so I, um, well, I, I began working on this idea like almost a year ago, seven months ago. And the idea again was like, create a book that is non-fixed. And back to this essential element of NFTs, which is collaboration, I reached out to an incredible cross-section of people. I hate asking people for anything, but this was a project that I so strongly believed in. It's like basically reformatting or redefining the nature of what a book could be. So the idea, I asked people like Sarah Friend, the incredible Japanese artist, Fudniko, Operator, the duo that collaborate on on uh, what it's choreographic art together, Sarah Styles, the poet, NFT artist, Sarah Mayoas, Krista Kim, Kevin Abbas, Claudia Hart has been teaching AI and digital art for decades. Uh, and and Lynn Hirschman Learson, who's 80. It's such a misconception to think that NFTs and crypto are purely, strictly the domain of young people. I collaborated with this famous collector called Dacus Joanu, who has a yacht painted by uh, Jeff Koons in Greece and an exhibition space in Hydra, an island in Greece. And we collaborated on an NFT together. NFTs are for people that have a hunger and a curiosity to learn and adapt to new things, new technologies, new ways of doing things. And basically it's going to be a, a book where, so I asked everyone to make a, a few sentences about NFTism, what you really love about NFTs, how NFTs have positively impacted your life. But also I'm very aware of what a fuck up I could be and have been in my life. So I don't take myself terribly seriously, even though I'm deadly serious about art. I have a sense of humor, which is integral to the way I think and the way I act. And on the other hand, so every artist wasn't just asked to beat the drum about how great NFTs are, but also similarly to write something about the critical, their critical stance on the space and the technology. And then you were meant to, to do to describe NFTism and post-NFTism, pro and negative about NFTs, and then to illustrate each position with an image that represents your art. And in that way, so now you'll be able to cherry pick your own book. You'll be able to choose the chapters that you would like to constitute your book. And then when I had a recent exhibition at the NFT gallery in New York City, I've been begging them to change the name because they're they're alienating half their audience for all the haters in this world about NFTs. And it's sad that people are so, it's human nature to resist change things that are uncomfortable, things that are new. The initial defense mechanism is to push back, shut down, and reject. And the art world is all but rejected technology. The art world operates like this famous insurance company, Lloyd's of London, the way contracts were negotiated in the 1700s were like two guys handshaking a deal. That's not the world we live in. Not now and not then. And anyway, so... I collaborated with a core group of people. And then during the during the exhibition I, I recently had in New York, there were empty sheets of paper for people to, 
describe their feelings pro and con about NFTs and to add an illustration if they would like. And now we're going to turn the table around to the audience and ask them to contribute to this ongoing, never-ending dynamic of creating a book with no end. So now the public will be invited as artists. Everyone is an artist if you do something with love and passion and devotion. So now the book will be opened up and and the general public will be allowed to contribute. And that'll, my NFT will change over time according to the input of people that are curious and interested. And that to me is it's the most exciting project, not just in the NFT space that I've been engaged in to date, but in my career. It's so exciting to be on the cusp of technology and art forms that are unconventional and haven't been done before, really. it's And I'm fucking old. I'm 61 years old. I'm long in the tooth. Although I feel like a child and I was listening to George Harrison, you were mentioning the Beatles in, in your past and music and your family's loving music so much. And George Harrison was like, it's the body that ages, but not the mind. As long as you're in, uh, you have control of the faculties. And really, curiosity and the spirit of being open-minded and adaptable to change and new things is a way of life in art and in science and technology and everything in between. And that's really what this is about. It's about embracing people and what they have to say and communicate. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And, you know, in, in the spirit of like, you know, uh, of, of embracing change and all that, what, what do you think it'll take for the traditional art world to more fully embrace this space? Now you're going to face a side of me that you haven't really seen so far. The cynical. I'm here for it. Let's go. Space. It's called fucking money, 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 money. I made a music video, which again, humiliated my children to no end. I made a music video, which 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 the initial backlash against NFTs gave rise to. I made a music video called Money, Money, Money. And it's like I, I was I was in a taxi in France with a bunch of kids. And I think children for me, I love I get along better with children and animals than most adults. But children have this incredible freshness, this mentality, which is so I mean, they're 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 wildly critical and they have no compunction about expressing their opinion about anything. But I was playing the music video, Money, 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 which I ended up selling at the first NFT auction in Japan, SBI. And I remember like the next day I had the same taxi driver, poor guy was stuck listening to my music, to my song. I actually wrote and wrote a song and, and, and created an animated video about it. And then a Rolls Royce SUV drove by. And I thought, God, that's a stupid thing. I said, what the hell is that about? It's not like an off-roading machine. It's a Rolls Royce that just weighs more than already a gigantic vehicle. And I said, what the hell is that all about? And then he started humming my song. It said, money, money, money. And it was just so I think, like, what does it take? I called Larry Gagosi the world's most profoundly successful art dealer two years ago and said, hey, look, I just curated this show and it doesn't look like a computer show. It's got sculptures and photography and installation and it's an NFT exhibition. Would you be amenable to me curating such a show in one of your 600 galleries spread across the world? And he said, I'm not that kind of gallery and slammed the phone down. A year ago, he did an NFT show with the art Swiss artist Urs Fischer, who made an incredible project called Chaos. 
So the art world listens to one thing, ching chingling of the sound of money. And that's what it's going to take. Let's jump into our, our, uh, our, rapid, our rapid fire segment, bullish or bearish. Bullish or bearish on generative art. I'm bullish on art, generative art. I have photographs behind me from 1953 and 1956 by Herbert Franke, Gottfried Jaeger, Vera Molnar. These are artists that have been producing art before two of them passed away well into their 90s. Generative art is art. It's an incredible art form. It is, I am as bullish as bullish could be. And by the way, I'm, a, I'm not, again, I'm not shilling anything for God's sakes. I can tell you generative art is going to blossom. It's inevitable. Boom. Bullish or bearish, AI art. I mean, even more than generative art. I used AI to write an article a few months ago. I said, write an art. I hate speaking about, I sound like a real douchebag speaking about myself in the third person, but I said to chat GPT, write a couple of, I didn't want to go to freeze in Los Angeles. I said to chat GPT, write me a couple of paragraphs uh, in the vein of my writing with my humor and irony. It spit out two paragraphs. I completely rewrote them, but in the midst of those two paragraphs were two incredible jokes. And AI, of course, everyone hates AI and says it's going to destroy the world. Let me tell you, we're doing a damn good job of destroying the world all on our own, left to our own devices, without the use of any computers. AI is not going to destroy the world. AI is going to be a tool for extraordinary levels of creative and, and, and functional growth in the economy and in the creative sector. That's Boom. a no-brainer. I agree. I agree. Next one, bullish or bearish creator royalties? Now you finally got me on a great question. I think royalties are fucking stupid. I'm the only artist that takes no copyright in my art. Richard Prince, the artist who's most known for like re-photographing, literally he took a, an ad from a Marlboro cowboy scene and just put a camera in front of it and re-photographed it and cropped it and called it his own photograph. And he said, it's all a free concert now in terms of copyright. And still the courts are holding on. I firmly don't believe in copyright for my work. I understand people need to make a living, but I take no royalties in my art. Royalties are stupid. Why, if you're making a leap of faith to buy my art, why should I carve out an investment stream to return? You've made a leap of faith to support my art. I want to get on my knees and bless you. I'm not going to rob you of some of the upside. And royalties benefit the people that need it the least. If you're an emerging struggling artist, you have no worries about royalties helping you out of your, your situation. Royalties help artists that sell for a lot of money. They don't need royalties. Bearish. Bearish. Wow. There, there, there's the take. Um, all right. Final one for bullish or bearish. Bullish or bearish on the metaverse. Oh, my God. Now you're really hitting me hard. I mean, the metaverse is again, it's like the only word, the only thing that you could say worse than NFT is metaverse. How could these 3,500 stupid goggles come out and they don't even mention the metaverse? Those things are tailor-made for the metaverse. I mean, before AI, the metaverse was on everybody's tongue. Now it's like it, it's become a pejorative, horrific thing. I mean, I did a metaverse in Basel, Miami with the architectural practice Zaha Hadid. And it was one of the coolest experiences. And I have on the negatives, I'm bullish and bearish. Bearish. I'll straddle the fence. 
on the one hand, I always end up walking into walls as uncoordinated as I am. Don't ask me to climb a flight of stairs in the metaverse because it's not going to end well. And don't ask me to choose my own outfit because I'm going to end up dressing inappropriately, not by choice, but because I'm, I can't, I'm so uncoordinated, I can't navigate. The metaverse needs simplicity. But again, like I just did a new metaverse for Zaha Hadid. They started their own metaverse called Metrotopia. And I just gave a lecture in the, in the, in the Venice Biennale of Architecture with a brand new space in the Zaha Hadid created metaverse. Of course, we had technical problems when I gave a lecture in the metaverse. But I think they're going to have to come up with another name. But why shouldn't this conversation be taking place in, a meta, in, in the equivalent, if not the metaverse, in the kind of creative and, and, and yeah, equivalent of what a metaverse is. We shouldn't just be looking at static backgrounds. We should be dancing around in a non-Euclidean abstract space that is as far as the imagination could spin. So I'm afraid I'm bearish because people are such haters, but I'm bullish because it just makes sense, perfect sense to me. There it is. Well, Kenny, I so appreciate you coming on the podcast. Always, a, always a great conversation with you. And uh, yeah, glad, glad to, glad to, to dive into everything. Thank you again from the bottom of my heart. Sorry for the problems. I'll take responsibility. And I'm a fan, and I'm appreciative for this opportunity. Thank you so much. Where to start? One good thing about Kenny, you always know where you stand. Definitely a hot take on creator royalties, a lot to say about the metaverse, and plenty to unpack in his analysis of the traditional art world as well. I'm looking forward to Open Book and all the collaborators involved with it. Before we leave you, if you enjoyed this program and you enjoy our podcast, we encourage you to head to your podcast streaming platform of choice and leave us a review. We love your feedback. It helps surface this podcast to a wider audience. And we look forward to joining you again next week on the NFT Now podcast. Take care.